feet up, breaking all the lights on the doors, and I ain't seen no ceilings. You're listening to Feminist Killjoys, Ph.D., an hour of feminism, pop culture, and politics, as discussed by two professional killjoys. I'm Rachel. And I'm Melody. And today we have a packed show full of hot takes on issues including Aziz Sansari, the Aziz Sansari situation broadly, uh, reconciling with two different forms of political resistance, questions about femininity, always our favorite discussion, and an important accountability corner. But first, Melody, where can our listeners find us on the internet? Such an excellent question. I would like to inform you that you can find us on the internet in select places. You could subscribe to us on your favorite podcast application if you haven't already. And if you are trying to procrastinate on a project, you could open up your iTunes app and leave us a review because that's a really great way to spread the message about the show. And on the social media tip, you can follow us on the gram. Check out our Instagram stories. Always a hoot or sad, depending on the day. We have a Twitter account and a Facebook page. You can like our general page for episode updates. And then you can also join our closed community group, which is Feminist Killjoys Community dash WTF Power exclamation point on the Spotify application. We have a Feminist Killjoys mixtape. It's actually called Feminist Killjoys PhD, so search for that. Rachel keeps that updated. And if you have some extra dollars and want to support feminist media makers, you can check out our website, fkjphd.com, and you can either click on the birdie to leave a one-time donation, or you can click on the Patreon logo, which will take you to our Patreon page where you can become a Patreon. And I will pause to thank some random, I just selected some random people this week. So thank you to Molly for your donation. And thank you to Belinda for becoming a patron. We very much appreciate it. And of course, you can email us at fkj.phd at gmail.com. And off the internet, off dial-up internet, off AOL, you can call us on a regular telephone using area code 414, followed by 858-7818, and that is a U.S. number. How are you, Rachel? Well done. Uh, I always, I never, like, answer you how I'm doing. Actually, when you ask, I always have to make some commentary about, about your spiel. And my commentary today is that I am glad that some people have been emailing us their snail mail address so that we can send them stickers. So I also just wanted to remind folks that if you would like some FKJ PhD stickers, all you got to do is send us an email with your perhaps P.O. box or your home address. And then Rachel will remind me to send those out. I thought you were really going to say, and this is a good time to remind Melody to e- to mail those stickers out. <laughs> I no, mean, that's, you know, that's the, the, the subtle... Refer, you know, <laughs> message, I guess. <laughs> no, tomorrow, tomorrow's my FKJ day where I'm just going to do some FKJ office hours. Wonderful. And um, I was just going to get into my check in, so make me stop talking. Rachel, how are you doing? Uh, I'm okay. Uh, kind of up and down things, but I'll tell a story about my morning, which is that I teach a yoga class and a sculpt class on Saturday mornings. Well, I'll give a quick shout out about my yoga class. I used a message from. Uh, a quote from the message that the Firebrand Witch wrote in their horoscopes this this week. 
which I, I often take like horse, like I quote Johnny Nicholas all the time. I quote, you know, most, most of the time my yoga students hear from astrologers for like the intention. But it was like a really beautiful, beautiful passage from the Firebrand Witch. I recommend everybody go to their website and look at the horoscopes they just posted. So that was a lovely yoga intention class. And then for my sculpt class, for because it's my birthday week almost officially, my birthday is Wednesday, I often well every year that I've been in Boston I've been teaching a sculpt class and on my birthday sculpt class I teach I, I take a section of the class to do the number of burpees that is my year and age like age, age and years there we go so it was 33 burpees at a, and during a portion of the class today and we do it to La Tigra's Decepticon of course and it's always so much fun and also <laughs> like I <laughs> it, 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 it is yeah, okay. so much fun it's a blast <laughs> And then I have a couple of student regulars who I'll do it for their birthdays too. And um, oh it's God. just a really, really fun time. And so like everybody was super into it and everybody was trying to do their age in burpees. So like the young college students had it real easy. And then at the very end of class, you know, we did like the Shavasana and Namaste. And then just like very organically, everybody just started singing happy birthday to me. And it was really cute. It was a big, big old sculpt class singing to me. That was nice. So I had a nice morning. So that's my check-in for today. How about you? How's your week been? How's your day been? I'm great. I didn't know the definition of firebrand. I will just tell everybody that a firebrand is a person who is passionate about a particular cause, typically inciting change and taking radical action. That's a great, it's a great name. They actually, they changed, I forget their former, like, which website name, but it's kind of been a recent change. And uh, it's a good, it's, it's powerful. It's powerful. Definition. I had no idea that that word existed. And that's what it meant. Yeah, I'm not sure that I knew that either. Thank you I'm for gonna sharing. like really shop this one around and let everybody know what Firebrand is because that's that's very relevant to myself, to you, and to other mm-hmm. people in our lives. Totally. Um, I did not do any burpees in the last <laughs> few months, but I did ride my bike today for the first time in a really long time oh. because of my hand injury took me out yep. for a while, and then Dakota, my partner, injured his hand and so if we would like go to a show downtown we would just take the bus and so we just kind of got out of the habit of riding yeah and then also it's often like zero degrees here and I stopped trying to prove that I'm better than everybody by riding my bike or not even it wasn't even a competition for other it was like more internally like I would guilt myself into doing it it's like what what you're not tough enough to ride in negative five weather no, I'm not actually anymore. I don't care because my feet are permanently damaged from riding in the cold for yeah. many years without the right yep. protection. Yep. Anywho, it was 40 degrees here, which is like summertime weather in Minnesota. And so I rode my bike to Cafetto and it just felt really good to get out That's and so great. ride my bike. Yeah. Something I haven't done for a while. And so it was great. And... I am going to be witness to a giant snowstorm on Monday. Fingers crossed. I know. Usually I get so jealous of Rachel because in Boston, you all get a lot of snow all the time. We do. We should just trade spots, although it's not (laughs) much better here with the cold. But I usually get very excited about snowstorms. And then as of late, the storm track has changed and then we don't get the snow. So I've been trying not to get excited about this one, but this one seems more real than the others. So great. Yeah. And I might, if the snow happens, the uh, chances of me canceling class is high because I'm a professor that doesn't think it's worth risking your life 
or your car or whatever right. to get to class. Right. <laughs> so totally. Like, I don't yes. really care if the campus closes, but if it's going to be treacherous outside, like my class is not worth anybody going in the ditch for right it. Like, right just completely. stay at home and we will completely work it out because we have online formats now where i can post a lecture and we can do things online there's no reason right. to should we move on and do a brief accountability corner which we haven't done in a while but is very important or did you want to do anything else for a check-in no i'm good great so you did this amazing episode with sika and as listeners found out i hadn't listened to it last week but I did listen to it after you posted it this week and loved it loved your ambient noise loved your NPR voice edits like thought it was fantastic really enjoyed hearing all the awesome stuff Sika does but we did get some feedback online uh, from a listener who noted that an organization that Sika mentioned where they work with autistic children is actually pretty problematic to a lot of people in the autism community. Would you like me to read that that whole thing or does that sort of summarize it? Okay. I would like you to actually read some of it because there was some specific critiques that I wasn't familiar with okay. about that. So the general critique, as Rachel cues it up, is about schools that are specifically trying to help people on the spectrum um, and other kinds of mental... I don't want to say disabilities. I, I want to use correct language here. Disability but, is not okay. problematic language. Okay. As, well, you know yeah. how sometimes people don't want their disability yeah. to seem like a disability. And so I'm not sure how people in the autism community see their see I mean, being it's, autistic. It, it varies, right? I mean, it's because yeah. they're not a monolith and it's complicated. Right. But So I appreciate, yeah, obviously you're trying to be careful with language. So yeah. Yeah. Ahead. So I, I actually took care of a kid for many years that is on the spectrum and their family chose to have him in just traditional public schools. But there's also these schools that you can enroll your, your children in that focus on autism, but unbeknownst to me, especially, and this is, and I really do try to learn as much as I can about autism for a lot of different reasons. Those schools are problematic to some people. And so that's what the critique was on Facebook. But do you want to read a little bit of it, Rachel, so everybody's kind of on the same page? Sure. So the org, so this is this is from our listener. Uh, so the the org, Fra- it's the Frasier School that... Yep. So the, the, yeah, so the Frasier School yeah. utilizes Applied Behavioral Analysis, ABA, which is abusive and traumatizing. Not only is ABA ableist in that it aims to suppress our differences so that we appear normal, quote unquote, but it was originally developed to attempt to make feminine boys less so because of fears they would be gay later in life. The fact that the website uses aff- offensive language, such as special needs, uh, dismissing that many of us prefer identity first language by insisting on person with autism, for example, was an immediate red flag. And they go on to say that they don't doubt that there's some good work being done, but uh, they would encourage us to pass this along to our guests and consider uh, supporting organizations that are supported more so by people in the community, Um, like the Autistic Self-Advocacy Network, uh, for example. Anything else from there that you wanted to make sure I got? Okay, yeah. No, that's fine. So then I immediately shared it with Sika, and then Sika responded at length and asked to forward on a like response i mean i have a much longer response so if people are listening are curious about more details i can share that with you from what i learned from sika doing her research 
But Sika says, while I do not claim allyship to this community, the autistic community, I can understand that my support of children in a facility can be harmful to that community by lifting up a potentially problematic organization. The respondent, so this is the Facebook post, the person who posted that, is entitled to their opinion of those therapies, and I'm grateful for their resources and to enlighten me for a greater need for the acceptance of neurodiversity in the world and would encourage them to reach out to Fraser directly to assist them in an awareness of the problematic nature of their current messaging, despite the terminology being the clinically accepted medical and legal terminology at this time. As the cultural normative language has shifted away from the term special needs and encourage others to do the same. I will also seek out ways to better serve and understand underserviced or marginalized communities and improve my understanding of them as we all evolve. Unquote. And just to note, if I, in my reporting or in defining Sika, said that she was an ally or accomplice to the autism community, that's on me. She never said that directly. So I just wanted to clarify that, that I might have erroneously defined her as such. So I want to make sure that that's clear as well. Mm -hmm. But I'm really like, I'm really going to dig into this topic because I'm very curious about all of this. And like, I think it's interesting how Sika mentioned the clinically accepted medical and legal terminology, because we all know, as does Sika, that whatever the legal terms are is still can be totally problematic. Yeah. And I'm, I'm thinking about intersex politics when we had Pigeon on and right. the things that they taught us about that yeah. as well. Yeah. Yeah. And I would just say that maybe instead of because our and I'm not sure if Sika knows this, but our our writer um, is identifies as a, as a person with autism. And so rather than perhaps putting the onus on on folks in, in the community to do that, educating to Frasier, you know, perhaps Twin Cities uh, folks who, who who aren't on the spectrum might might want to step up and do that advocacy work as as allies or accomplices. Yes, 100 percent. Thank you for bringing that up. Yeah. Okay. Thank you to that listener. Um, We, as always, really appreciate being pushed and challenged and educated and are grateful for uh, for folks when they take the time to do that. So thank you for that. And um, thanks for Mel to reaching back out to Sika and to Sika for responding and and engaging with it. Let's move on because we have uh, quite a few things to get through and not a ton of time already. And we were going to start with Aziz. It's It's been a couple weeks since the Aziz Ansari story broke, and we had a really, I think, interesting and challenging and um, productive conversation on our Facebook group. And so we just figured we'd, you know, sort of summarize some of our thoughts on on this episode before getting into some of our other hot takes. So, Mel, do you want to start? Yes, I would like to say that this is probably the way in which the hashtag me too thing I like I'm most connected to and so I find this situation probably the most personal out of all of the big stories that have come out from Hollywood and the government etc cetera, etc cetera. And so I really appreciated this person taking the time and the bravery and the courage to write this up because I think it is very important to have a discussion about this kind of inappropriate sexual behavior 
that I know a lot of women and people of all genders have experienced. And it's really hard to put a name on it because it's not a definition-based sexual assault or harassment, but it's something that is definitely not consensual. And it's really based on, and at least in my experience, based on how women especially are socialized to be the object of desire, but also submissive in whatever a man wants. And even though I'm a strong feminist, there's also a worry of conflict or danger or violence if you say no in a pretty gray area, right? So if you're like, I don't totally mind this, but this isn't really what I want to be doing. Ugh, it's going to be really annoying to tell them that I don't want to do this. I'll just play along. Like, so many people have done that. It doesn't, mm-hmm. gender is irrelevant here. And at the same time, when we leave those situations, when I leave those situations, I feel super, super shitty, you know, similar. Mm-hmm. Well, I don't want to like compare experiences. I feel super, super shitty about that, mm-hmm. just as I feel super shitty getting sexually harassed on mm-hmm. the street or whatever. So I'm all for her speaking out and. You know, it's unfortunate. Well, I mean, I also want to note that Aziz Ansari is a person of color and somebody who has fought really hard to get the recognition he deserves as somebody from India. So, like, I get that there's a lot of identity politics wrapped up into this, but I think it that essay, just like the other women who have come out and, and spoke about their traumas, has made a lot of people feel more comfortable talking about their experiences and feeling like they're not alone. And... My opinion is, like, I don't really care that he has to go through this. Like, and this is, unfortunately, like, a lot of collateral damage. So this is the last point I'll make, Rachel, and then you can share how your your ideas. But I understand there's been some discussion now, especially with reformative or trans reform. Why can't I think of the word? Transformative justice. justice. Yep. It's transformative, right? Yep. Okay. We don't want reform in the prison system. We want transformative justice. Mm-hmm. Um, so I know that part of the discussion is like, okay, there's, you know, there's a lot of men that go through that have made some very bad decisions. And is it worth putting a few of them out for a for critique or like basically their careers get destroyed, right? And it's very much like we'll see which one gets the most viral hits with these articles. You know, I mean, everybody has Mm -hmm. a story, right? And so it's Mm -hmm. kind of like, we'll see which ones are going to get uncovered. So I get that, like, this is probably not the best way to go about it, of, like, picking out certain people and be like, he did this to me and he did this to me. And But at the same time, after centuries, at least decades, I mean, forever ago, forever and ever and ever, women have not been believed about their situation sexually. The media has totally drug us through the mud. Men get away with this shit, and they have been getting away with this shit for a really long time. So where I'm at, like, today, right now, is I don't really care if, like, a couple guys go down. And, like, they're I use the collateral damage analogy not to glorify the military or war, but that's because I feel like that's what it is. It's like, I'm sorry, like, you're going to go down. I wish that men had their shit together more where we didn't have to do this, but I'm, that's where I'm at with that. And I know that there's some problematic statements in there, but that's just how I'm personally feeling today about it. And of course, my feelings will evolve, but that's where I'm at. 
Yeah, that all makes sense. And I mean, I think we this is definitely going to be sort of repeating some of what we said when we addressed Me Too more generally. I do think that the Aziz Ansari story is, I think it is very important to talk about how it is distinct from Harvey Weinstein, for example. And I know mm-hmm. um, there's also some sort of debate and controversy about do actually our friend Jesse, um, who we went to grad school with, wrote a, a piece about how we both like love nuance and hate nuance like collectively mm-hmm. and um so you know is it a good thing to talk about that this is actually like not as bad as like full-on rape or is it like a bad thing to say that because all sexual assault is horrible so you know there's debates about that but I personally do think that it's like significant to talk about how this is demonstrates uh male entitlement and gray areas and situations where you know oftentimes men, but not exclusively, you know, don't actually know that they're violating consent, etc. Like that feels like an important part of the story that we that we could tell. I, my stance, as I've expressed a number of times, um, I don't, I understand that putting Aziz Ansari's name on it gets it more clicks and gets it more attention and gets more people having this conversation that is very important. I don't think we need to have those personal names attached uh, to these stories because of my belief in abolition and abolitionist politics that believes in everybody's ability to abuse and everybody's ability to transform and heal and the ways in which public callouts and destroying careers can actually stifle that ability to heal and the ways that it suggests that certain specific individual men are bad because they've caused harm versus literally we are all capable of causing harm in a rape culture. So I think that that's the biggest issue I have with these personal attacks is A, the sort of transformative justice piece and the impediment to healing for the, the perpetrators, which I know like who fucking cares, but it's important if we want to solve rape culture's roots. And B, the 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 fact that it becomes this like bad apples situation, sort of the same thing with cops. It's like, well, that's the bad cop. So the bad cop, you know, the bad cops kill the black people, so we'll just get rid of them and then the cops will be okay. Well, it's like, no, that's actually not the case. It's like the police culture breeds this ability for anybody in the in the police force to do these kinds of behaviors. And similarly, rape culture and patriarchy breeds in all of us the ability to violate consent. And so those are those are some of the big issues for me. I also want to make a note that yes, it's I totally support Grace, who was the anonymous name of the person who told the story. Obviously believe her, think it, you know, also have been in situations very similar and definitely know how fucking horrible it feels. Um so totally support her, totally believe her, totally hate the think pieces that slut shamed her and victim blamed her and also she didn't actually you know you described it as her sort of bravery and courage and stepping forward but it was revealed um that babe the publication approached her she didn't approach them so that also feels to me a little bit coercive in getting grace to tell a story that they knew would get clickbait or be clickbait rather and so that also feels like a little bit icky and there's been a lot of i think legitimate critiques of babe and what they've now exposed grace to um all of the backlash that grace is now experiencing um which can also be very you know traumatizing so those are some thoughts where i think we ultimately like obviously agree that aziz Ansari, you know enacted like really violating harmful behavior it's really awful to experience that and be on the other end of it but yeah i guess we do differ a little bit on our 
responses. But one thing that really helped me wrap my head around it is thinking about how leftists, uh, like leftist politics, talk a lot about diversity of tactics, which we've talked about on the show before, and how, you know, even though I know there's a lot of leftists and liberals that don't support, like, Redneck Revolt, for example, or, like, the armed, you know, the armed militant portion of the left like if you can at least respect it that it's like a tactic that's sort of how I'm trying to respond to the public call outs like I don't think it is like personally how we're going to solve problems but if it is a tactic that is working a little bit right now then I'm not going to like try to stop it I'm just personally not going to participate in it if that makes sense like personally posting people's names that have harmed me yeah, I think that's that's a really good way to summarize being supportive yet not reiterating the aspects that you find to be problematic. Right. Yeah. So because I I think like one thing that I'm not liking about this whole situation is that women are attacking Grace and attacking other people who are supporting Grace. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that is like this is exactly what the patriarchy loves is totally. when we divide ourselves. So no matter how you identify gender wise, like. At the end of the day, like Rachel said, you know, I support a diversity of tactics. I'm not going to reiterate the ones that I don't support. I would say, like, we just need to support one another. And even if we don't agree with all the tactics, like, the worst thing we can do for each other is to divide ourselves and argue over things like this. Because in the end, it takes away our time and energy from actually dismantling rape culture. Right. Yeah, I think that's very real. Anything else on, on that? No, I think that's great. And if you're interested in talking more about it, like I said, you or like Rachel mentioned, we do have on our Facebook community page a discussion going on about that. And so that's one example of how our community page works. And also, I should note that from a- Accountability Corner, that comment came in to our community page as well. So it's a really great space to have these conversations off air. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Speaking of that Facebook group, we got another question that helped helped tells helped us realize that we wanted to do sort of a mismatch of things today. So should I should I go ahead and read this one since it's more to you me. You may proceed. <laughs> okay, this is from friend of the show Alexia. I think she might go they I, I think I think she pronouns and I think she goes by Lexi. Alexia, get back. Get back at me uh for both of those things if if you would. So Alexia, Lexi says, I have a random question I've been wanting to ask you, Rachel. How do you balance your leftist Marxist dedication to revolution with your desire for transformative justice? I'm friends with a lot of lefties who, in my opinion, glamorize armed struggle and think violent revolution slash killing the bourgeoisie is pretty much the only path towards liberation. Well, I'm not one to ever criticize oppressed people for defending themselves through armed struggle. I'm here for Black Panthers and Redneck Revolt. I also don't see such frameworks Uh, creating openings for transformation and personal growth and declarations to kill Nazis doesn't quite sit right with me Uh, thinking through people who do renounce those frameworks I can't remember the name but basically an ex-white supremacist formed a group to rehabilitate others would love to hear your thoughts Uh, I love this question because it's something I definitely have thought about a lot and given a lot of thought to and wrestled with I'll give a quick anecdote. I saw the uh, Batman movie many years ago when I was living in Minneapolis and um, with my my former partner, who was very militant Marxist, like loved Mao and Lenin without really any caveats, um, who is like a a really wonderful human and does more for the working class than anybody I know, literally. So is like so, so great. And we anyway, we see Batman. And part of this Batman movie was 
that was the one with um Tom Hardy in the mask, I forget his name, in the movie. Basically, they were like doing trial, like tribunals of like the rich and like making them walk off into the ocean to, to their deaths because it was like, you know, revolution of the of the proletariat overthrowing the rich is basically like the premise of the movie, except in fucking Batman, of course, like they're the bad guys, which whatever. Anyway, so we're so we're having this conversation and I was like, am I a liberal because I don't actually want to kill the the bourgeois when we like have revolution like I don't want to see people walk to their deaths and I was like crying on the way home because I was like oh my god am I just like a capital L liberal because like I don't want to like kill people and um my partner at the time like tried to assuage me that like it was like no I wasn't you know just a total like I was I could still be like a le- radical lefty and have problems with with that tactic um but he doesn't he didn't have problem with that tactic you know so that that is so that's just an anecdote of how I've been thinking about this for a long time um and that's only grown as I've gotten deeper in my yoga practice and my you know spiritual and witch work and certainly transformative justice work absolutely so my I think part part of my answer is also diversity of tactics so far in history there hasn't been a nonviolent revolution that has actually created substantial change so I want to be realistic about that and recognize that that may be required. I've definitely, you know, fallen into like, I think, glamorizing that a little bit. I uh, like the Battle of Algiers is like uh, like a lefty cult classic. And there's all these women who like put bombs in French cafes because they're fighting imperialism. And like, I've like loved that scene. But it's also like, OK, also innocent people died. So it's it's a it's a huge struggle and challenge in my brain about like wrapping my head around that but so one i think it might be necessary in you know situations of revolution it's very difficult to not have violence two i would say that militants and violence are different and i think um armed self-defense doesn't have to be violent or, or let's say let me say this it doesn't have to be on the offense it's defensive right I think a really important point when we think about violence is that we live in a violent culture. Capitalism is violence, white supremacy is violence, poverty is violence, etc. And so when people respond with violence, it's self-defense in a violent society. So all of those things I really believe to be very true. Now, in my ideal world, we are engaging in practices that are also going to sort of solve the root causes of harm, which is what transformative justice is about, which is what being a radical is about really in a lot of ways, you know, looking at the root causes. And I don't, I don't want to build a society from violence because it is more likely that that society will then also have a foundation of violence, right? And I don't, and I don't love that. If we could transformatively, if we could rehabilitate every every person. I think that would be great. I'm going to try to keep, I'm almost done with this tangent. I don't know if that's possible. So that's like the overarching thing. The other thing that I'll say is that I do think there is a difference between not wanting the state to make decisions about people who they think are bad, which are like mostly poor black folks and brown folks, and being really, really against state punishment and believing that maybe there is a space for not the state <laughs> to make decisions uh, about people who have who are actually doing bad things, like capitalists who have made billions of dollars off of um, destroying people in the U.S. and outside of the U.S. It's why, like, 
I don't I watched Dexter for a little bit before I realized it was too scary and there was a season where he just like killed rapists basically and there was like that felt like I don't want those rapists in jail because I don't want the prison like the prison industry to profit off of them but I was like rooting for Dexter like killing those rapists so there's like there is certainly some cognitive dissonance in my brain (laughs) about this but so that's not a clear answer because I totally contradicted myself but yeah the short version my ideal world we could rehabilitate everybody and build revolution through um, healing methods. But I definitely have to be a little bit realistic and, and historical, which is what my Marxism is you know, rooted in, is like looking at the material reality of history and recognize that transformation has generally taken place um, with what is perceived as, as violence. So I don't know if that's a full answer, but those are some thoughts. Mel, did that make sense to you? Did you follow oh, definitely. That? No, okay. that's great. Yeah. And I'm always one to point out hypocrisies. I just noticed them, but I've never, f- I'm not disagreeing with the reader question or the listener question. I'm just like, I don't, I think because of the diversity of tactics thing, it, mm-hmm. it makes sense that you can kind of be supportive of a, a multitude of ways to transform. I shouldn't use that word because that's part of the definition, but to change a society. And I was thinking like, I was thinking a lot about the Black Panthers when you were talking because mm-hmm. they often get romanticized as mm-hmm. what, you know, as whatever. But that was they used, quote unquote, violence in that way to, to mm-hmm. as self-defense. So they walked around with guns to defend themselves against the police who were killing them. Mm-hmm. And what's unfortunate, though, is that the state inflicted not what we see as like gun violence, but I'm very much of the belief that the police and the U.S. government like got crack into these neighborhoods to get people addicted and away from activism. The Black Power mixtape documentary mm-hmm. d- describes this better than I can. But my point is, is that the state can use violence against us in ways that is not guns or bombs to subdue us or to keep us from standing up. And so sometimes having direct quote unquote violence, but our own form of defense is really necessary. Mm -hmm. And I think that that can work in tandem with transformative justice, just like just to use the, the historical moment of the 1968 or the 1960s. It was like the old story of like Malcolm X and MLK, you know, Malcolm Mm -hmm. X had much more violent rhetoric and MLK had much more nonviolent rhetoric. He was still like, he still did direct action, but he was nonviolent together those two tactics worked to make changes. Mm-hmm. So yep, exactly. I was thinking about I was thinking about that. I was also thinking about the Arab Spring, though, in terms of your point about how when you take down regimes violently, it's hard to get away from that violence. And I yeah. know a lot of these countries are still struggling with that very issue. That they yes, they yeah. got these dictators out, but now they're in the cycle of violence and right. chaos. That I don't want to blame the violence for, but you do have to follow that cycle. It's very hard to get out of that violent situation readily. And this is me speaking as a total outsider, as a person who have just read about these things. I've never been a part of any kind of revolution like that. But it seems like the points that Rachel is making, those are the two historical moments that I thought really reminded me of what you were saying. Yeah. Yeah, you're right. So it's, it is like kind of a catch 22. It's like no change has happened without violence. And yet we've yet to really break the cycle of violence in those new societies that form from those revolutions either. Um, Which is when we get into like, you know, 
transformative justice and like utopia um theories which i fucking love and want to like just like swim in all day and think through but it's like that shit is so much harder because our society is so seeped in yeah in violence so yeah it's a great question and it is like an overwhelming question because the left is so divided on it and um yeah i i don't know if you ever uh alexia if you ever want to like come on the show and like we could do like, I don't know, a bonus app or like a regular app and just like keep talking through it. I think that'd be a fun conversation if all three of us were just like thinking about it. But mm-hmm. anyway, cool. So thanks for that question. We also uh, this week or actually it was like a month ago and we just realized we never responded to it. We got a listener email that had a number of, um, I think, compelling questions. Um, Melody, do you want to take this first one? Sure. So this is from a listener, Stevie, name changed. So they had a bunch of different questions, and I I love these questions because it's just great to be asked our opinions on them. And so, yes, we will share them. So I wasn't, maybe this shows my age, I wasn't really, I didn't know about this term ghosting, not in the way that you all might think about not responding to text messages. But their question is basically they had heard about the situation where when men take condoms off or people with penises, I'm just going to change that, um, during sex without telling their partner that that's called ghosting. And then this by definition is rape. And so they were wondering, would a woman who lies about having birth control to a man and then have unprotected sex, is this also rape? My first response is that, is this rape? And I don't want to minimize the situation, but it is not, it's non-consensual in terms of protection, but I was under the assumption that rape is like unwanted sexual behavior, like that is actual the act, not like how the act is being done done, or the... I don't know. I'm just asking, is this actually rape? I'm not denying that it is, but I was just taken aback by that. Like, it's a totally inappropriate thing to do. So I don't know if this is a lack of sexual education, and I don't want to discredit anybody's experience, but I'm actually surprised that people, like, people get ghosted this way. Like, I just would assume that you would feel a difference, especially if it starts one way and ends another way. But again, not not my body parts that have experienced this. So that's what was my my initial response. But yes, I mean, to answer your question, if we're going to use this definition of rape, etc. Yeah, a woman doing it or a person with a vagina doing it, and a person with a penis doing it, it's all it's the same act. It's being deceptive. It's being manipulative. It's taking away something that you said you had, which then creates like a human being at the end, which is a pretty big deal. I don't I don't know about the referring to it as rape. But yes, I think it is the same thing and women should be held to those or people with vaginas should be held to the same standards as people with penises in in this kind of sexual situation. I'm, cu- I'm curious what you think, Rachel, about this. Part of me is wondering, like, and I think the whole Me Too conversation is, is asking this question as well. Why do we need to be committed and wedded to what is and isn't rape? Or do we need mm-hmm. to start talking mm-hmm. about violations as harmful and that all of them need to be understood as harmful and, and responded to with, you know, with the same 
kind of care and attention whether or not it's like actual rape. So that's kind of my I think that's my response is like I'm not necessarily invested in figuring out if it is or isn't rape because those definitions like ultimately kind of are meaningless when people are you know arguing about them. So but it is a violation. I actually just met a really amazing person who is working on some legislation. Originally it had been introduced by a former mayor called Rape Through Fraud. And it isn't necessarily about sex acts, but it's about like lying egregiously to to a, you know, a person you're in a relationship with in a way that ultimately creates like deep violation. And this person have, had experienced that firsthand and it really like fucked, fucked a lot of things up and was traumatizing and, you know, like big, big lies that that, you know, she was sort of building her life around. And but she is actually so she's she's in favor of the legislation of taking that seriously, but she's trying to get it changed from rape to violation through fraud because she she's also a, a rape survivor, so she sees those things as different, but also that it doesn't change the importance of the legislation, if that makes sense. So mm-hmm. I think that's my response is like, I'm not invested in whether or not it is or isn't rape, but it's not okay. Okay. You know? Mm-hmm. So, Yeah. Next, we don't, we've been, we don't have a ton of time. So moving on. We have 15 minutes. Oh, okay. I thought we only had 10, but we still have two more questions. And oh my God. Wells. Okay. Oh my God. Oh my God. Okay. This, I feel like we can do this one quickly because we talked about it before. So yes, I'm just going to summarize the question. This is in response to the selfie episode and this, this, a uh, listener says, I have a hard time wanting to support any cosmetic company, yet I see so many feminists wearing makeup. Is that in itself fulfilling the male fantasy male gaze? How much of this act is still our choice? It's interesting that people who advocate for feminism will still wear even in the smallest amount of makeup on their face and seem not to talk about it. Having to wear makeup goes deeper than just that anxiety, self-confidence, worth. But the root of that is still the patriarchy, is it not? Not to shame anyone who wears makeup. It's still an individual choice that I fully respect. So it's, you know, the sort of makeup question. Mel, you want to state your position? Well, things that I have not shared on air maybe or things that I haven't focused before on is that there are like companies, makeup companies that don't test on animals. I'm sure that there are like localized makeup companies that are run by women. I'm just not in the makeup world to know that. So like there's ways to support, like to buy makeup and still be a feminist if you're worried about your your where your dollars are going. And Second, I would say like this is where Rachel and I have dis- people if you're a longtime listener, you know that we disagree on the use of makeup. But what I want to say that has made me kind of question my own stance on this as a second wave feminist conflicted with her third wave feminism mm-hmm. is that when I see people out in the world, I don't know if they are wearing makeup because they've been duped by the patriarchy or because they're a queer lesbian that wanted to wear sparkles on their eyelids because they thought they looked fun for the day, right? Like, I can't, I don't know the difference. And so while I can make some pretty good assumptions, you know, with my students based on what they tell me, and it's sad that women feel like they need to wear makeup to feel good about themselves when they leave, that is not the reason why all women or all femmes or all any gender of a person goes out and wears makeup. And so I've learned that I've tried to work on that to know that some people like myself, like I choose to wear lipstick, not to not to conform to the patriarchy's desires, but because I'm feeling like extra like, you know, like I used to wear it like when I would get when I would break up with people, it was like my like my power thing. Like I'd be like, I'm mm-hmm. going to put make lipstick on because I don't give a fuck. Like yep. That's actually like anti dude. Right. <laughs> you know, like if I'm breaking up with a dude, it's like. 
So there's yeah. so many things that I could say about that, but I, for feminists who are trying to work through that as I have, that's my takeaways. Like I can't make assumptions about people. I can have my opinion, but I don't know why people are putting on makeup and it's not my place to assume. Yeah. I I feel like I, I'll be echoing a lot of what I've said on air before, but I think my short version is that I, as a femme, I it feels like a subversive practice, not necessarily an appealing to the patriarchy practice, particularly when we see on the internet, for example, like men being like, oh, gross dark lipstick. Like, why do you have to wear like I mean, women get slammed by men for wearing too much makeup, any makeup, you know, particular kinds of makeup. I wear, you know, lipstick that people perceive as black and that's not like a thing that most like norm like normative patriarchal standards of beauty are like into like so there's that you know like makeup can be really over the top subversive campy um in in ways that really are a rejection of sort of normative standards of of beauty which is you know how I how I often feel about the makeup I wear but that said you know I also don't do like I am I am of the camp where I don't mind being an object of like sexual desire so if like particular types of people are attracted to that look like I think that can feel really empowering and exciting so I don't I also don't think it's wrong to like want to invite sexual attraction that also feels like really okay to me and I really like admire people like I follow a lot of like sex workers on on Instagram who pose like amazing like sexy photos and you know sometimes that involves you know particular kinds of makeup or whatever and I just I I don't think there's anything wrong with that. And then I would also just echo Mel that like you can find ethical as far as you can, you know, there is no ethical consumption under capitalism, but you can find um, you can you can practice harm reduction about the types of companies you buy from. So I think most people know that that's my stance. But just to summarize. So real quick, and I can I can answer this last question more off air via the email that we received. But I'm toxic femininity. They asked if toxic femininity was a thing because we often talk about toxic masculinity. I think that's a rad term, but I could see you not liking it. Do you not like it, Rachel? I meant to look something up to answer this question academically because there was an essay that came out that it was like there was like hyper masculinity and then the equivalent was like, oh, I forget the word they used, but they basically had an equivalent of femininity, but they didn't use hyper toxic because that kind of suggests that masculinity has power over in a patriarchy. Mm-hmm. So there can't be an equivalent about the power under. That's like saying reverse racism kind of. But what I do think, but I guess when we're using the word toxic, that isn't necessarily about power. No, because so, it's about how masculinity is toxic to men. So in right. that way, yeah. Sure. Yeah, I think, I, you know, if this person, well, this person actually said they're not in academia. But if you were, you could totally write a paper about that and get it published and people would like lose their shit about, you know, sussing through the possibilities of that in a good way. So, yeah, I guess I think I think it certainly could be possible. I mean, there's certainly internalized misogyny. There's, you know, a culture of, you know, patriarchy also teaches women not to be supportive of each other and to judge each other and compare to each, you know, to to other people, other women, especially. Um, And I'm saying women, I'm participating in binary language, which is problematic, but how the question was framed not calling the writer problematic but you know this is our this is our society so women femmes people who who participate in sort of femininity what do you think i 
agree with you. And I would actually like to do more research on this because I didn't know that scholarship had been written about it. So I actually want to do more research on this and talk more once I have some great work. About. I think it's fascinating. Yeah, I love to this. Be I think it's a really important thing to talk about. Not just, I mean, obviously, it's very, very important to talk about toxic masculinity because it's not talked about enough. And a lot of my male students, when they're feeling more comfortable sharing, they like they get kind of frustrated that we're always talking about women and what you know what harm is done to women by society. Yeah. Um, but at the same time, this toxic femininity, especially in how it cuts down on sisterhood and solidarity between women, is is something I I just want to think more about. I'm glad that the listener brought this up yeah totally so to be continued yeah all right we're real close to time so let's like bang through our rwls you go first thank you for asking me what i'm reading watching and listening to but before i do that i would like to sing you a song happy birthday to you happy birthday to you happy birthday dear rachel happy birthday to you Thanks, Mel. You've got a, you, I mean, you know this, like you've got a lovely singing voice. So that was a real special treat. Thank you. Yeah. I wasn't even doing my like really good singing voice. Like if Justin Vernon was sitting next to me, <laughs> that I wouldn't, that wasn't like my top singing voice. So right. thank you. Yeah. <laughs> my name is Melody. I was born with my voice. It was willed into my body because of my name. Um. Anyways, I'm reading the new Trump book that came out, The Fight and Fury, Fury mm-hmm. and Fight, mm-hmm. by that journalist. And I'm not reading it as like a gossip rag. I'm reading it more because I teach journalism and it was access journalism. Like the guy was there in the White House for a really long time. So I'm just curious about it as a more as like a teaching tool and just a discussion mm-hmm. point. So I'm reading that. Somebody referred to it as just eating a bunch of ice cream. Uh, let's say vegan ice cream over and over and over yeah. again. Like because it's yeah. just like, oh, my God. But you know, for me, it's more of a teaching thing. So I'll right. say more about that later. But I did get that in the mail. And I'm about to read it. It is one of the few books that I've purchased from like an old white guy in a very long time. So yeah, <laughs> I am watching Timberwolves games. They're the NBA equivalent of the Minnesota Lynx here. And I am just curious in how the NBA structures and markets their games differently than the WNBA. So this is just Mm -hmm. a research tool again, because I can never stop working. I don't have Mm -hmm. that problem Mm -hmm. at all. (laughs) And what I'm listening to is this band called Volcano Choir. Did you ever listen to them? Oh, yeah. I saw this on our, sorry, fourth wall on our Google Doc, and I just got so nostalgic. I loved them in college, and I love the actor who is the lead singer in the band, um, and I'm blinking on his name right now. Um, No, you're totally no, no, no. Volcano Choir is Justin Vernon. What? Dude, oh my it's gosh. Justin Vernon's I'm band. thinking of... Oh, you're thinking about Arcade? No. No, I'm Arcade thinking Fire. of... Shit, now I gotta look it up. Volcano... What the fuck? Volcano... No. Oh, friend. If anybody knows who I'm talking about, it's the brothers. Oh my well, gosh. Well, say more. Maybe I know this. The, the okay, the the actor who is um he's on the show Easy. He's he and his brother were on the Mindy Project, and his brother is also on Transparent. I'm completely blanking on their names. The fucking I have no idea. The fucking I'm blanking on their names. One of the brothers is in this band, and I thought it had the word volcano in it. You know what we're gonna do? Whatever the the outro music this week is gonna be this band because by the time we have this all edited, you're gonna figure out what this I'm band gonna is. figure it out. Volcano, I'm so excited or something. 
volcano. I'm so excited. Yeah, okay, well, Vul- I was... it's called volcano. I'm still excited. So okay, it has well, I volcano. was sharing what anyway, I was listening to. I'm so sorry. Uh, <laughs> you're listening to Justin Vernon's <laughs> band, Volcano Choir. I didn't. I didn't know. I didn't know about Volcano Choir. I knew about a different volcano band. So no, there. that's cool. That that's cool. I anyways, they it, Justin Vernon is a singer, and they had an album come out in 2009 and 2013. And I'm obs- as you all know, I'm like obsessed with Bonnie Vera and Justin Vernon's voice. Like I just, I just, I think it's beautiful. Mm-hmm. And so I recently, because of Spotify, you can just get bands. Like you can just be like, let me listen to Volcano Choir, and it just comes up. You know, it's true. And you know, I've paid lots of money to see Justin Vernon before, so I feel okay listening to their stuff on Spotify. Yes. And I just love them. My favorite song of theirs right now is called Comrade. And it's just, it it is, it does remind me of like mid 2000s indie rock. So I think that's why, plus Justin Vernon's voice. And I will just listen to anything he's singing. So it's, uh, yeah, it's nice. I'm just going back into the archives of Justin Vernon's world. Plus, I love you, Justin. He's from, what? Plus, it's called Comrade. Which yeah, plus, is yeah. Dope. <laughs> yep, exactly. And you can actually understand what he's saying, and I think the lyrics actually, like, make sense. They're yeah. not just... Yeah. I feel <laughs> like he just writes words along to these beautiful melodies. Yeah. Don't nothing. have to make sense, right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> That's fine. Cool. I don't care. I'm reading, I'm reading student final papers because I taught a winner online course. I'm watching I watched American Vandal in like a week Logan and I kind of binge watched it because we actually made time for TV this week what is um it? have you so it's a mockumentary no. actually okay. um friend of the show Claire mentioned it and a couple of other our other friends had had talked about watching it so we sat down with it it was a lot of fun it was like not the world's best TV show but it's it's like very funny and it's like kind of a spoof on serial and making a murderer but, oh cool yeah so it's like it's they, and they do such a good job of like sort of like teasing those you know those kinds of shows ab- yeah. about like the tone they take and like the cuts they make you know it's it's oh, like I really can't. spot I need to on watch this then. yeah That's I think awesome. you'd like it but like it has like a very funny premise it takes place in a high school like the mystery is solving who drew like 24 dicks on teachers cars so like that's so they're talking like really seriously about like who drew the dicks it's 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 funny it's it it was it was a fun fun like turn your brain off like entertainment kind of thing uh is it on uh it's on netflix yeah it's on netflix it's a netflix original yes okay cool and then listening to oh same same lots of different things oh I, I got back into my Jessica Lee May, Mayfield kick um, usually around January February I like just want to like listen to Jessica Lee Mayfield's full albums which is not always the case like I'm I'm like a big playlist person now but I usually want to listen to her albums like start to finish in the winter I don't know what it is they're just very winter what is her music to me. like I've never listened to Jessica oh Mayfield. it's like a lady and a guitar like oh. singing indie songs about love and lost and <laughs> yeah She, you'd like her. She's like she has like a very punky look. Her hair is usually pink. Um, yeah. Oh, cute. Yeah. The yeah, internet is showing me her. Yeah. Yeah. It's good. It's good music. She's from Ohio. Oh, I, you know, I think I knew that because she talks about Ohio in one of her songs. And and, shout but, out. Uh, and Justin Vernon is from Wisconsin. 
look at that. We just mentioned Whoa, our little home state team. And it's know. it's the year it's the time of the Aquarius too. It's just like our it's time. It's true, it's true. Happy Aquarius season. Wait, when does Aquarius kick in? Nineteenth, I, I think. The nineteenth. Okay. Oh my I'm gosh. Sure. Yeah. Wow. We are in it. Oh, wow. Well, we're in it to win it. It's true. Uh WTF and Aquarius. Power. She raises from a single bed and confidently says goodbye, love. And justice in the shirt he wore last night. He always liked to in his clothes. Cause no one ever does for us Thank <laughs> you.